Welcome back to a new episode of Brand Matters, our weekly show about branding and technology. This week, I want to talk about the mobile roundtable from the Data and Marketing Association and Industry Index. Then I'll briefly discuss why our smartphones are so dumb and how we can make them smarter. First off, thanks to Jonathan Shevitz from Industry Index for moderating the roundtable. The other participants were Chris Cunningham, CRO of Unicast, Kyle Tsik, Managing Partner of Group M, Sean Lynch, Marketing Manager for Influencers and Athletes at Fila, Chris McDonald, CEO of Registria, Mary Roger, Director of Marketing Communications at Cuisinart, David Shim, Founder and CEO of Placed, and Mark Parrish, CMO of Action IQ. We covered a few different topics during the panel, ranging from one-to-one marketing, looking at um, mobile device IDs and what those mean for, for marketers, looking at influencers and influencer marketing and, and trends there, and then also the importance of location intelligence and geofencing. One big theme throughout the morning was the shift in retail that's coming, uh, largely driven by e-commerce and, of course, Amazon, and what that means for retail experiences. Mobile in particular, now that mobile commerce is so popular, you have customers that are going into stores and they're comparing prices with online. They're sometimes even making purchases from other brands or other properties while in a competing store. Mark Parrish noted that even though we expect an Amazon to eat the world, they've only eaten half the world so far. And it's it's worth noting that retail isn't dead because Amazon itself isn't giving up on brick-and-mortar retail. They, they bought Whole Foods. They've opened their own test Amazon bookstores. And... Uh, you know, they have the treasure truck, which we talked about on the show a couple weeks ago. There's no reason to believe that we need to move everything online and we have to get rid of retail establishments. But I think what's important is customers' expectations are going up and the retail experience needs to improve, whether it's from a, a service or an offering or an entertainment point of view, in order to compete with the convenience, the cost structure and the consumer habits from e-commerce and mobile commerce. And in some cases, like with Starbucks and its mobile ordering app, we can use mobile technology to help bring customers in through the door, get them making more purchases, or get them in and out faster. And in doing so, make retail a win-win for both brands and customers. Location intelligence is going to play a big part in helping retailers to really merge this online offline experience. Whether that's retailers recognizing through geofencing when you're close to their store and you know popping up a reminder or an offer or uh, some kind of engagement. Kyle pointed out that you know less than 40% of consumers walk into a store with committed brand loyalty and the other 60 plus percent of customers are walking in and open to switching brands or open to kind of what's on the shelf and what, what the what the best deal or the best selling point is. It's really that 60 to 65% that's up for grabs for a, for a brand. We could think about, you know, using technology to measure life cycle of a purchase and shifting media buys, targeted media buys toward the end of that cycle so that um, you're improving your chance at getting in front of a customer before they go in to make the purchase for the specific type of good that your brand sells. One theme coming out of of all this is the importance of data and whether that's location data 
on the importance of um, thinking about targeting and which customers are considering making what purchases. Brands need to find the right partners or build the right stack so that they're collecting the kind of data that they need to make the best insights for reaching the right customers at the right time. Mark had a good point, which is even as data is driving a lot of the decisions around marketing and and branding, it's not that we can just turn over all of the marketing to the data scientists. Marketers and creatives still have a part to play within the larger story. And I'd actually say that when you use data to improve the personalization with which you can reach your customers, it accelerates the number of stories that you can and need to tell. One example is, say, uh, if your brand is doing uh, targeted email marketing, you're going to have to think about, okay, if we can do micro-segmentation of our customers and send personalized or very specific emails to each of these customers based on their specific interests and purchase history, then we're going to need a creative team that works with an automation team to seamlessly craft the right email formats and templates to go out to all these customers in different ways. Mary pointed out that we're seeing this shift in marketing organizations right now. And where previously you had your IT department and then you also had your marketing department, now a lot of CMOs and their teams are making tech decisions for how to integrate partners into their marketing stack. And that requires a whole rethinking of how we structure our marketing teams. Uh, Mark pointed out, for instance, that when social first arrived, social media was originally run by the corporate communications team because that originally made the most sense. You have people who are used to dealing with the public. Why not just let them broadcast out on social media? But I think what we've learned is, okay, now your social media team needs to be directly integrated with your customer support team. And now you have uh, whole teams running that. And now social media marketing is its own sector and has its own specialties. And so rather than just asking your millennial intern or asking you know your PR folks to just tweet a little bit or post some Instagrams. Now we have to step back and rethink, okay, this is a specialty that people need to learn. They want to use a data-driven approach to how they're doing their social media. They're going to have to decide which uh, you know social media tools and technologies to use, which partners to bring on, how to allocate budgets for social media marketing, um, influencer strategies, These are all different components that spun off from social media in just a few years. And now as a marketing organization, we need to step back and and have a bigger picture on how to split up these functionalities. Sean shared some great thoughts on influencer marketing from his work with Fila. One way to think about it is influencer marketing, especially for sports apparel, is not really that new. Sports brands have been using athletes as endorsers for you know, generations. But in this case, now the platforms and the size and the structure are different. Sean said he sees a trend of uh, brands working more with micro-influencers than than trying to just find the million-plus uh, mega-influencers. When it comes to influencer marketing, it is a Wild West situation. We need to find better ways to standardize and measure the ROI on influencer marketing. You can't just look at follower counts anymore because not everyone's follower base is created equal. Uh, some people have spam and robots and fraud all you know bundled into their um, followers. And 
the point isn't necessarily just reaching raw followers. Smart marketing is is about closing the gap between noise and signal. When we used to send, you know, radio ads or newspaper ads, you're just sending that out to reach a million people. You know, if I watch a TV ad about a certain medicine and it's not a condition I have, it's irrelevant to me. If I hear a radio ad about buying a car or a mattress and I'm not in the market for a car or a mattress, it's very little ROI to the brand for that spend. But when you can use technology to personalize an ad intelligently to reach an audience of one, then you are increasing the stakes for how you can engage with a customer. That means that as we think about influencer audiences, we really need to focus on engagement. And ultimately, I know this is redundant, but influence. We need to find the people who have influence within specific communities, whether that's the gaming community, fashion, even very specific ones like the Whole30 community, uh, people who eat this diet. Brands are looking for matching those audiences in those communities with what they have to offer. And an influencer is a person of authority who can speak to and endorse that product. On the other side, we, we see um, a lot of ads from the top influencers, even though they're reaching billions of impressions, very few of them are properly marked as an ad or as um, sponsored content the way that the FTC has regulated. And so that's part of the wild west of this industry is not everybody is following the rules and the rules aren't always being enforced. Overall, I think there's a lot of promise for influencer marketing, especially when combined with mobile digital strategies, when combined with a combination of, of media buys and user generated and owned content and influencer posts. Everyone is an influencer in their own right. If you've ever recommended a product to a friend or you've ever posted an Instagram of something you bought at a coffee shop or you know a new pair of shoes, you are influencing your small or your sometimes large circle around you with brand exposure. And so rather than treating YouTubers and all these uh, new folks as this whole separate category, I think we should think about it as a spectrum, which is some people have enormous audiences and some people have an enormous amount of voice that a community will listen to them about and how do we find natural and authentic ways to partner with between brands and people of influence in order to get the word out about products that will delight and amaze these communities. Chris McDonald from Registria shared some case studies about how they've used mobile, not so much as an ad tech tool, but on the other side of helping brands engage with their customers and customer relationship management and marketing tech. What Registria does is it replaces the registration card that you used to get from buying products with a, um, a mobile-friendly process. You can text a photo of a sticker that'll have your product information on it straight to the brand. And then rather than starting with this, sending all this information to the brand, you're starting with a more guided customer experience and you're making a better first impression. Registry, it took a, a space that wasn't really being innovated on, that people didn't think a lot about, and found a way to use what we already have on hand, whether it's our text message or our Facebook Messenger app or in other countries, WeChat or Line, and make a smoother and easier and more delightful process for the customer. And in doing so, offer you know you can offer extended warranties and add value for your customers. You can offer 
additional content or other incentives to help with the registration process. Chris said they've seen in some campaigns customer new product registrations go from as low as 5% from the traditional card to upwards of maybe 50% with the smart mobile registration process. If you'd like to learn more about what we discussed on the panel, Industry Index will be posting some guest blogs covering some of the topics that we went over this week. You can visit their website or Twitter, and I'll include some show links on Blog Talk. Okay, for the second topic, let's talk about dumb smartphones. So I published an article this week for Adotus talking about how the dream of having our smartphones be truly smart hasn't yet come to fruition. And the example is if you took Siri or Google Assistant or even, you know, on the smart speaker, something like Amazon Echo, it's not really smart the way that we think a person is smart. We've actually lowered our expectations on what this technology can do. If you hired a personal assistant named Siri and he or she was running all your tasks for you, I think you'd want to fire them pretty quickly because you'd find that actually you had to do a lot of the work for them. And when you're uh, dictating something and they get something wrong, they fix it the wrong way and you have to go back and, and adjust it on your own. Or when you ask for some information, they don't really understand your question and you have to, you realize it's actually slower for you to try and explain to this assistant than it is to just do it yourself. That's the transitional phase that we're in with smartphones right now. Look, I was super excited when the smartphone came out. I had the first iPhone. Uh, a bunch of friends chipped in and got it for me as a present. And it really was incredible. I'd had a Palm in the past, but going from something like a flip phone to the original iPhone was really game-changing. I'm incredibly thankful that in the palm of our hands, we have access to the near entirety of human information. But when we think about a device that's smart, our phones still have a lot of room to grow. I would say that when... Artificial intelligence reaches its true potential. We're going to look back at this generation of smartphones, say, you know, the last 10 years. We're going to see that these devices were actually closer to the dumb feature phones that we had 15 years ago than what the future of mobile computing is going to be. The reason I think that is when artificial intelligence really begins to understand you, it's going to anticipate your needs, it's going to contextualize your user experience based on where you are and what you're doing, and it's going to save you time and effort in really remarkable and almost magical ways. A recent consumer survey found that only 29% of users say they use a mobile voice assistant every day. So that leaves another 71% of customers that can be reached with making something smarter and more useful. And we also have to make it more intuitive because your average consumer is not going to take the time to learn the specific voice commands and change the way they talk. That's why things like natural language processing are so important is because to make these devices truly smart, they need to understand us however we talk and in whatever situation. At Cheetah Mobile, we're betting so strongly on the future of AI that we're implementing AI into each of our products and, and trying to find different layers across each of these products where we can embed AI. Our product teams have been tasked by our CEO that they have to find a way to use AI in improving their products because that's our way forward. So in LiveMe, we're looking at how to improve AI recommendations. We use it for our content moderation and computer vision. For other content, we're looking at specific personalization. For PhotoGrid, we're using computer vision to, to make smarter filters. And with Cheetah Ads, 
we're looking into improving mobile marketing in ways that can make exchanges or targeting even smarter through learning systems. AI won't be truly smart until it can get out of the way. The goal for making our phones smarter is to spend less time having to direct our phones with uh, typing in our own searches or surfacing the right content for us and allowing our devices to learn more about us and become more intelligent about how to recommend content for us, how to understand our needs and our queries, and also how to personalize and contextualize the proper user interface and features for our specific needs. Of the mobile companies working on a smart assistant, I'd say Google is the furthest along, and they've really done some really great stuff with Google Assistant. And we're seeing these platforms come out of phones and into speakers and into other devices. And I look forward to the day when we have adaptive and personalized virtual assistants always available to us. It probably won't be quite as intimate as the movie Her, but I believe in the near future, as artificial intelligence improves and evolves our phones, we'll look back on smartphones and realize just how dumb they were. That's it for this week's episode of Brand Matters. Thanks again for listening. We're going to take a break next week due to the Thanksgiving holiday, so I hope you get some great time with your loved ones. Have some turkey and pie for me, if you will. Thanks again for listening. I'm Josh Ong, your host, and this episode has been produced by Sebastian Liu.